0: Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 1. We are starting a series on Zechariah, and our goal, and as we've talked with other uh, workers and sojourners and put our heads together as leadership, is to really have a balance in sojourners. On one hand, we want depth. We want to really understand the scriptures thoroughly, especially the Old Testament. And through that, when you start to understand one part of scripture in depth, it really helps you to understand many parts of scripture in depth. And that's even what Pastor John has modeled over the years with the New Testament. At the same time, of course, we want you to understand the Old Testament in breadth. And so we want to bring a little bit of balance And as a result of this, we'll be going through parts of Zechariah in depth, and then we may take kind of a short interlude to cover some things in breath and kind of catch our breath through things and go back and forth in that way. And I just want to let you know that that's not random, that's according to plan. And it's just like eating a well-balanced diet or having the right kind of balance of exercise and things of this nature. We want that spiritual discipline as well. Well, we are covering the book of Zechariah. You might wonder why, because Joe and I are engaged, like I alluded to in writing a commentary on this with Dr. MacArthur truly, like I said, Dr. MacArthur's writing the commentary, and Joe and I are just learning. And that's, that's really the truth, and, and I love it. It is such an honor, and it is such a privilege. But some of us here, as we think about the book of Zechariah, and we say we're teaching the book of Zechariah, there are typically three reactions that people have by way of introduction to this book. One, people will say, that's amazing. Zechariah is amazing. I love that book. And then another person, the second reaction will be, oh, you're doing Zechariah, huh? Yeah. Never read it. (laughs) And then a third reaction is, oh, you're doing Zechariah. Yes, we are. I just read it and didn't understand anything. And so it is apropos for us to do Zechariah because, yes, it is an amazing book. And it's amazing because it's filled with so many spectacular things. What you have in the book of Zechariah is that you have... Discussions of visions, multiple visions all in one night. You have a discussion on worship. You have a discussion on the future. You have a discussion of the entire plan of God from the time of Zechariah to people like Alexander the Great and then Jesus and his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. That's mentioned in Zechariah. And if you've ever heard of the Antichrist, he's mentioned and prophesied in the book of Zechariah. And if you've heard of the Battle of Armageddon, that's also discussed in the book of Zechariah. And then you have the millennial kingdom. And that's in the book of Zechariah. What you have is promises and prophecies about Israel and all kinds of nations. And ultimately and centrally, you have prophecies about the Messiah. Almost every single page, almost every single chapter covers in some way directly the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who comes into this world as the light of the world. He's the priest. He's the king. He's the conqueror. He's a good shepherd. All of these titles are found for the Lord Jesus Christ in this book. It is a rich and dense book. You have spectacular moments where you see something like a flying scroll, or you see the backstory of if you remember in the Book of Revelation there are those four different colored horses and horsemen. Well, you meet them before you ever get to the Book of Revelation. You get their backstory in the Book of Zechariah. Speaking of backstories, you meet the whore of Babylon when she's a little girl in Zechariah. So you have all this background information. It's a loaded book. And you say, why is there all this information packed into 14 chapters? Because the book of Zechariah, if it's about one thing, it is about this. It's the very name Zechariah, which means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. You see, at the time of Zechariah, people were wondering Did God remember all that he promised to us? Did did God change his mind about anything he told to us? Did he forget anything? And so the book of Zechariah comes out and says, God never forgot. God always remembered. And the reason sometimes this book is complicated to us is because God is remembering things we forgot about. He remembers things that we forgot about or... He was remembering things we really never bothered to read because we didn't read our Old Testament carefully. Now, if you're a parent, you understand the leverage position you are in when your children forget what you promised them or never bother to listen to what you promised them. When you go up to a child and you say, you remember that conversation where I said that I would give you this if you would do that? And they say, what? You say, never mind. God could do that. He could do that with us. He says, you didn't bother to read what I promised you. Why would I give it to you? He could say, you forgot what I promised to give to you. Why should I bother to give it to you? You didn't even care. But our God is so faithful. Our God is so loyal. Our God is so loving. He will remember what you have forgotten. He will remember what you didn't even bother to know. And he will still give it to you anyways. That is the level of how great and deep is his remembrance. This provides assurance and comfort because he never forgets anything. And he never will forget his people. And so what you have in this book are the recounting of blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And one of those blessings found at the very beginning of the book, which we are covering this morning, is the blessing of repentance. The blessing of repentance. You can't have all the blessings that God has described in this book of Zechariah to his people Israel and by extension to us. You cannot have any of these blessings unless you repent. Now to be clear, repentance doesn't merit or earn blessing. But there is a correlation between the two. Those who receive blessing will be those who repent because God has done a work in in our hearts so that we would be worthy to receive all that he has promised, but all the glory and all the merit and all the honor and all the effort and all the credit goes to God and not to ourselves. But for that very reason, repentance is required. And this is something important for us to understand then. God remembers repentance. God remembers the promise of repentance. And here is the bottom line lesson then. Repentance isn't just something you have to do. Repentance is something you get to do. Repentance isn't just something you have to do. Repentance is something you get to do. There are many things in life that you have to do. You have to hypothetically take out the trash and do chores and do and eat and clean and have meetings and things of this nature. You have to do those things. You have to go through these things. And sometimes we view repentance that way. It's just this burden you have to go through. It's hard to admit you're wrong. It's hard to be confronted about sin. It's hard to be humble. There are a lot of flavors of pie that we may like. We may like chocolate pie and apple pie pie and cherry and strawberry pie. We may like cream pies and banana cream pies and stuff, but we often do not like humble pie. (laughs) We don't like that. And so we view repentance as something we just have to do. I just have to say I'm sorry. I just have to confess my sin. I just have to do all this stuff before the Lord. But what Zechariah reminds us in his opening words is repentance is a grace. It's not what you just have to do. Do you have to? Yes, you need to. But it's what you get to do. It's what you get to do. And it's the opening to all that he has promised that is God and all that is contained in this book, all that God remembers, all the wonderful things he has in store. It's the gateway to it all. And so what we're going to emphasize this morning as Zechariah is emphasizing it to us is, yes, we need to talk about how to repent. Yes, we do need to talk about the urgency of it. But most of all, we need to talk about that. You get to do it. You get to do it. And so at the end of the day, we should say, thank you, Lord that you allowed me to come back, that you allowed me to return. Thank you, Lord. That's your mercy, and I will always do it, not because I have to, but because I get to. And so with that in mind, there are four, four ideas, four characteristics of this grace of repentance, four characteristics of this grace of repentance. And let's go through the first one now. And that is the circumstances of repentance, the circumstances of repentance. And we see this in verse one. We see this in verse one of Zechariah one, opening words of Zechariah one, one in the eighth month. You say, why do we need to care about the time of the year? Why do we need to care about the date of Zechariah? Well, if you have been with us for any length of time and you went through the book of Haggai with us, you know that Zechariah's contemporary, Haggai, he loves dates. Everything he does, it's like a journal. He loves dates, and the dates, they matter. And for that very reason, since Zechariah is Haggai's contemporary, Zechariah also will have a date, and that... Matters. You see, what is going on at the time of Zechariah and what is going on at the time of Haggai is God has an objective. He has a task. He has a labor and a goal for Israel at that specific moment in that period of his plan. And it was for Israel to rebuild the temple. It was for Israel to reconstruct it. You, You say, why? Because the temple is a demonstration of worship. And so they were to prioritize worship in their lives by rebuilding the temple and the temple was part of their witness to the whole world and to the whole nation. And so they were to re-engage in their goal and their purpose in God's plan. So they needed to rebuild the temple. Now, easier said than done, there's opposition. Easier said than done, there are challenges. Easier said than done, there are obstacles. And so one day in the seventh month, on the 21st day of that month, Haggai receives a revelation from God. And in this revelation from God, God says, I know you're discouraged, Israel. I know it's hard to persevere. I know it's hard to endure through this. And I know it's even more difficult because you think that the building you're building is smaller than what Solomon had back in his day. But God says this in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 and following. He says this, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth one day and I'm going to fill this house with every treasure that is in the entire world. And on top of that, God says this, and the latter glory of this house will be greater than its former glory. If you thought, oh, look at back what God did in the days of Solomon. That's where it was at. That's where it was large. That's where it was magnificent. God says, you haven't seen anything I'm about to do what you're going to do here. God says, I'm going to use not just a later house. He says, the latter glory of this house, the very house you are working on, Israel, the very house you are laboring on and reconstructing that house, that work, that which you're doing right now, I'm going to use it for your glory. What God reminded Israel was this. You cannot let the present perspective you have define what you are doing. You have to look at this the way God looks at this. And in the end, here's the eternal and everlasting result, God says, is that this house will be so magnificent. This house will be so glorious. And it will be so resplendent with his majesty that you're going to forget all the labor and pain you had in this moment. That's all you're going to remember. That's all you're going to see is the end result. That's what's going to stay with you. A magnificent temple that eclipses all other temples before you. And you will know that whatever you did, it was worth it. And all the pain goes away because all you have is gain. Sometimes in the Christian life, we're laboring and we are under duress, and we go through struggles, and we go through trials. You need to see that the way God sees it. In the end, when God stands victorious and all things work out for good, you won't remember the trial. It'll go away, it'll disappear, it'll be overshadowed by the brilliant glory of what God did through that. That is what will remain. And as you go through this then, and as they, as in Israel, had to go through their struggles then, they had to labor so and realize that everything they did and every tear they shed and every struggle they had, it meant something. And it meant something so much greater than them they could endure to the end. That's what we had to remember. That's what Haggai lays out. And if I'm listening to Haggai in the original audience, or I'm listening to Haggai now in this modern day, in our own struggles, in our own toils, and Haggai is proclaiming from the top of his lungs, it's worth it. Look at eternity. It's worth it. I want some more information. I want to know more, especially if I'm curious and I want to say, Haggai, can you explain more of what this end is going to be like? What are all the promises and how they're all going to come together and how glorious and how magnificent and how comforting will it be? If you are curious, like I am, you might want some more information. And if you're discouraged, you might say, well, Haggai, I'd like some more information. I mean, I remembered it today, but there is tomorrow, and there is the next day, and there are the later days. I need more exhortation. I need more instilling of this truth. I need to learn it more and more and deeper and deeper and over and over. Can you give me something more? And remember, all of this is happening on the seventh month, 21st day of the month. Now, it's not Amazon Prime two-day shipping, (laughs) but when does Zechariah get a prophecy? The eighth month, about one week later. And God said, prayer answered. If you're a discouraged saint and you're wondering, Lord, I I just need to know that all this is worth it. And I need to see that the struggles and the tears that I have, it'll turn out for glory. And so this isn't working in vain, and this means something. And if you're a saint who just wants to know more because that brings consolation to the soul, Zechariah, God has sent Zechariah and commissioned him at that time to step forward and to give the curious saint and to give the discouraged saint consolation. That's what's going on. That's why it matters that he... Proclaims this on the eighth day in the second year of Darius. And notice who comes at this time the word of Yahweh. The word of Yahweh. God's divine revelation comes to answer and to cause people to see what they would not know on their end and by themselves. And in light of that, it is interesting who is this word of Yahweh? Who is it? We know who it is. John 1 makes it clear in the beginning was the word. In a book about the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of Yahweh, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to reveal himself. And so the messenger is the message. The messenger is the message. That's what we see here. And the message is clear. You can't make this stuff up. It is absolutely God's perfect, sovereign providence that he selected Zechariah in the family that he Zechariah came from because that establishes the very message of this book as we said the word Zechariah means Yahweh remembers and for saints who are weary and for saints who are discouraged and for saints who are wondering if their efforts are worth it and if they will be meaningful and God will use them in the end for such a majestic effect God says I remember I remember It won't turn out the way you think it will. It'll turn out the way I remember it will. Zechariah, God remembers. And what does he remember? Well, Zechariah, if you look at verse 1, he's the son of a man named Berachiah. You say it rhymes. Well, that's true, but the main point of it is that Berachiah means blessing of Yahweh. God says, You want to know what I remember? You know, it would be kind of a disaster if God said, and I remember your sin. You know, that would be a bummer. But God doesn't say that. He says, I remember all the blessings. I will remember every promise I made to you. I remember how I'm going to turn everything around. I remember how I'm going to wipe away all the pain. I remember how I'm going to wipe away every tear. I remember how I'm going to redeem everything you have done for my glory, for good. It's Berakiah, who's the son of, notice verse 1, Edo, you say, what does Edo mean? It means in His timing. in His timing. What's the message? It's simple. God does remember. what does He remember? His blessings, and He will provide them in His time. Sometimes God's timeline is not our timeline. Sometimes God's timeline isn't what we would want, but God has a timeline. Everything is made perfect in his time, and he has a place for everything, and he has a plan for everything, and that's what this book systematically lays out. Yahweh remembers everything, and everything has a place in his plan, and there is everything in the wisdom of the tapestry of redemptive history and the tapestry of the life that he has woven together for you. He has a plan, and it will come, and it will be in his time. And you say, this blessing that God remembers in his time, this consolation of encouragement that God will take Israel's efforts of the task he has before them and use them for his glory, all of this is the circumstance of God's calling people to repent. Think about it this way. Why is God calling people to repent? Sometimes we want people to repent because we want our pound of flesh and we want them to suffer the way they caused us to suffer. We like movies where bad guys get punished and we don't like to show them mercy. And when they say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're like, too bad. Ha, I like this director. We're going to watch this again. We like our vengeance. God calls you to repent for your mercy. God says, you want to know why you're going to repent? Because I remember everything. And I remember blessing that I want to give you. And I want want to give it to you in the right time. And I want to give you comfort. And I want to give you consolation. So repent. God's not after a pound of flesh. God is after to bless you. You want to know why repentance isn't what you just have to do, but what you get to do? Because it is not just to punish you, it is actually to reward and bless you. That's what repentance is about, and that's the grace of repentance. Well, God not only lays out the circumstance of repentance, God lays out the context of repentance, and this moves us into verse 2. Verse 2, the context of repentance. And you read it, and it says, Yahweh was very wrathful against your fathers. And on one hand, and this is a very important reminder, we can never forget Yahweh is a God of wrath. You see, often in our society, and sometimes even in our hearts and minds, we view God and we want God to be a very loving, gift-giving, nice, pleasant vending machine. In fact, you, want him, you treat him and we treat him worse than a vending machine. Because at least with a vending machine, you have to pay something to get out of it. And you just go to God, and we just go to God and say, give me that. We don't even offer anything. And not only that, with a vending machine that doesn't give you anything or makes a mistake in what it gives you, you know, it gives you a Pop-Tart instead of a bag of chips or whatever, you don't start to say to the vending machine, because you failed me, I don't believe you exist. No one does that. But people do that with God. They treat Him worse than a vending machine. They treat him worse than a vending machine. We need to remember, though, our God is not a vending machine. He's not just a robot that gives you what you want. He's not a dispensary. He's Yahweh. He's holy. He is perfect. And he abhors sin. And he has wrath against that. You don't get to boss him around. He's your judge. That's how this works. And lots of scripture makes that clear. You can go from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we know God is a God of wrath at the fall. We can see it in how he chastises Abraham. Abraham sins and does not believe in God. And God is silent to him for decades. Why? Because he's a God of wrath. You can think about it with the life of Jacob and how God disciplined him. You can think about it with Moses or with Pharaoh particularly. Or you can think about it in Israel's wilderness wanderings, an entire generation essentially annihilated in the wilderness to make a statement, I am holy. You can think about it in the book of Joshua and the battle of Ai, or I, or however you'd like to pronounce it, There is consequence to sin. You can think about it in the time of Israel, in the time of the judges, where everyone does what is right in their own eyes and they suffer for it. You can think about it in the time of Saul where there is judgment, or David with the judgment against him personally for Bathsheba or the census. You can think about it in the time of the kings. Any king, anywhere in the scriptures under judgment. Or you can think about it specifically with Solomon and how he was judged and he split a kingdom as a result of his iniquity and how this all goes down as judgment piles on judgment uh, piles on judgment until Israel goes into exile and they're expelled from the land. And God essentially says, we're going to have to start over with you. You came from Babylon. You came from the Ur of the Chaldees here. Now you're going back because you sinned against me so thoroughly. In fact, it's interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says these words, I will be wrathful against you and scatter you among the nations did you hear that word wrathful it's the same word used here in Zechariah 2 Yahweh was very wrathful and Israel had a history to prove it it is undeniable it is undeniable that God is so holy And it is undeniable that God is supernaturally powerful and he can use that supernatural might to judge. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Never forget that. And if you just think, oh, but that's the God of the Old Testament, we got a different one in the New Testament. No, you don't. Woe to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Woe to Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Woe to Jerusalem. Romans 1, the wrath of God was revealed. And in the book of Revelation, it says this, that those who do not obey the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 14, they will be brought into the presence of the Lamb to suffer eternal wrath. From the beginning to the end. We know that God is holy from the beginning to the end. We know he does not tolerate sin. Be fearful of God. He's no vending machine. And we can never forget that. But on one hand, that's true. On one hand, Yahweh is wrathful. But notice, on the other hand, the way this verse is worded, Yahweh was wrathful against your fathers. Now, if you didn't catch the hint, let me be a parent for a second. And let's say I walked up to my children. Of course, they're engaged in wickedness. No, I'm just kidding. But but let's say I did catch them in something wrong, and I said, now, I was about to punish you. Then all of a sudden, what? They perk up. You You were? But what's the implication? I might not do that. I don't know why I would ever say that. But let's just say that. I was going to do that. But what do they know? If you were going to do that, that was something in the past. And now you might do something different. And of course I would. I would say, let's go out for ice cream. Now, (laughs) Yahweh says here, Yahweh was angry. Yahweh was wrathful. And it wasn't against you at this moment. It was against your fathers. You want to know the context of repentance? It's this, that God had mercy, that God restrained his wrath that God provided the opportunity. You, we know that we need to re- repent. That's true because God is so holy. There's an entire history behind it and there is an entire demonstration from Genesis to Revelation that Yahweh is wrathful and his righteous anger incisively judges sin. We know that. But here's why you get to repent because the only reason you can is because God was wrathful. That's the only reason. It's not because you earned the right. It's not because you could just go to God on your own and say, hey, you got to take my repentance. I did it, so it's good. The only reason you have the opportunity, you have the possibility of it, is because God restrained his wrath, and he just didn't destroy you. Repentance is a grace, because the very opportunity to do it at all It can only be explained because God had mercy, because God had mercy. And if he didn't, he has every right not to grant it to you. Repentance is not just something you have to do. Repentance is something you get to do. Never forget that. Well, we've talked about the circumstance of repentance. We've talked about the context of repentance. Let's third of all talk about the command for repentance, the command for repentance. And that's really found in verses three and four of this passage, verses three and four of this text. We've learned that it's not just something that is repentance that you have to do, but you get to do because it's the conduit of blessing. That's God's intent in repentance. And it's not just something you have to do, but you get to do because. It is only made possible because God is kind, and God is merciful, and God is gracious. So in light of that, we need to learn a little bit about what repentance is, and even along the way, in learning that, to see the grace and the goodness of God in Repentance, And there is a key word used here in the book of Zechariah, which really, as we will see, is a key word that all the prophets and all scripture uses about the nature of repentance. And that is the word to return. God holds everyone accountable to repentance. That's why it says, thus says Yahweh of hosts. It is all of his might. It is all of his supernatural resources demanding our repentance. It is something you have to do, but it's something you get to do. And we need to understand what is that. Often we forget the nature of repentance. Sometimes because we say the word over and over and over and over and over again, we neglect actually what is involved in that. And from a very pastoral and practical application, we need to recover it. Otherwise, our repentance and our sanctification and our Christian life will be deficient. And it's all summed up in the word return. Return. Because with that one word, it ties together two very important actions, two very important actions. On one hand, when you return, when you turn around, you're moving from something. You're moving from something. A return flight is not a return flight if it moves you away from your destination. It doesn't work that way. And as you move from something, it's a reminder of this. To really repent, you have to stop sinning. You have to cut off that which you clung to. You have to put off. We can't forget that. Sometimes people think repentance is becoming more and more godly, even while you sin all the more. That's not repentance. And in fact, that won't actually deal with the issues of your life. Repenting means turning away. It means ceasing from progressing in and further in one's iniquity and transgression. But it's not just moving from something. It's moving to. This is not where you just get to turn around and do the moonwalk and just keep going backwards. It's a complete change of life and direction. You have to move and you have to stop one thing, but you have to move and to something else. Sometimes people just think, if I stop the sin, then that's repentance. That's part of it. But if you don't actually replace it with something else, you still haven't pleased God. You just have done what does, or you just have refrained from what does not please him. You actually haven't pleased him at all. We need to remember in the Christian walk, you put off and you put on we turn away from sin, and we turn to righteousness. We need to remember that. And often in our lives, often in our lives, the reason we struggle with the mortification of sin and we struggle in our sanctification is because we are either not doing one or the other or both. But we need to remember that. Never forget what it means to truly repent. And speaking of which, and I love this here, you see, Sometimes we think repentance is turning away from sin and turning to a different behavior, turning to a different course of life, turning to a different set of actions. And that can be included, to be sure. But Yahweh, our God, he has a much more profound and a much more lofty standard and a much more exciting and glorious demand. Notice what he says. He does not say, return to a good life. Return to righteousness. What does he say in verse three? Return to me, me. God is not just after moral behavior. God is not just after righteous externalism. God is not just after your piety. God is not just after behavioral change. God is after your heart to love him. He doesn't just want you to do stuff. He wants you to know and to seek and to adore and to love him. That's true repentance. And now do you understand why the world can never repent? Can the world change its behavior? Of course it can. Can the world refrain from certain activities? Of course it can. But would the world ever, on their own volition, would depraved man ever, on his own inclination, want to return to God? Never. But our standard is higher than the world's. And God's standard for us is higher, and it's the true standard. Return to me, God says. This is not just about changing and swapping one behavior for the other. This is not just changing one kind of activity for the other. This is about you loving him. And if you don't, you have not repented. You may have changed, but you have not biblically repented. God says, return to me. Now, We need to remember, and I've mentioned it briefly before, that the word return is a key word not only in Zechariah, but it's a key word throughout all the prophets because God promised one day that Israel would return. In Deuteronomy 30, God says, you will return with your heart to me. In 1 Kings 8, God promises, you will return to me. In Jeremiah, God over and over calls, return, return, return. But here's the question Israel would have after all the judgment that had happened, after all the terrible things that occurred in the exile under God's wrath, would God still allow them to come back to him? And you know, the most encouraging words to hear in Zechariah 1 are these. Come back. Return to me. Return to me. It's not over. It's never over. Come back. And that's the goodness of repentance. That even after so much sin, even after so much wickedness, even after, in a lot of ways, you would think that you should never be able to come back. God says, come back. Return to me. That's why repentance isn't just something you have to do. It's something you get to do. And along that line, notice what God says. Israel, return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will what? I will return to you. The same word. You come to me, I come to you. You return to me, I return to you. God will respond to repentance. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. And you might wonder, what what is this? Coming, what is this return? What does that include? Well, of course, when God returns, He's going to restore His people, Israel. So that they will have everything that they lost. They can come home and have a nation and have security and have longevity and have domestic stability and domestic tranquility and prosperity and bliss. That's true. And it's not just that, but he will return all the blessings that they lost and they will have it again. That's also true. But you know what the word I will return, it really designates and centrally designates. It's simple. Remember that in the book of Ezekiel, before Israel was judged, before the exile happened, God's presence is over the temple and God's presence left. It departed from them. And he said, you don't want me here? I won't be here. And when I'm not here, you're judged. It's over for you. I won't protect you anymore. But here's what Ezekiel promised. The God who left will what? Return. And God says, I didn't forget that promise. I will come back. I will dwell with you one day, just like Ezekiel prophesied. I will. Return. There will be a day for the nation of Israel and for all the nations around them, for all those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, that the glory of Christ will return centrally to Jerusalem and dwell in a majestic temple, demonstrating that God is with and in the midst of his people. There will be a day when there will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem, designating that God will protect his people because his presence will be amongst them. There will be a day when the glory of God will fill the earth to the point where the sun and moon and stars will no longer shine because the only light that there will be will be god's light that's it and that will be the best light of all because it'll be light and glory and presence from the inside out. All you will know and all you will see and all you will experience is the divine presence, the perfect holiness of God, the perfect love of God, the perfect joy of God. All that God is will surround you and be immersed in you as you are immersed in him. And God says, I will return. I will make that happen. Every tear will go at that moment. Every pain will disappear. Every trial will be washed away. And all you will know is the most perfect and elaborate and joyful comfort that there ever has been. All that is in God. And God says this. If you repent, if you return to me, I will return to you. I'll tell you what. I'll take that promise of God's presence, of having that kind of transformation, of seeing that kind of glory, of having that kind of relationship with God, of having that kind of consolation and comfort. I'll take that any day. If, it, if all you have to do is just keep coming back to God and you have that, I'll take that any day to have that. Repentance isn't just something you have to do. It's something you get to do because you know what you get through that? You get God. That's the blessing of repentance. Well, we learned what repentance is and we need to quickly cover what repentance is not, what repentance is not. And that's what you see in verse four. Sometimes there are pitfalls that prevent us from repenting. And Zechariah highlights it to us, and it's simple. Don't be like your fathers. That's obvious. They're dead. It's not good. Don't be like them. How? How should we avoid being like them? God says, well, the prophets called, the former prophets called to them, saying, thus says Yahweh of hosts, return. We've heard this before. Return from your Evil ways and your evil deeds. And here, Zechariah is reminding us of another aspect of repentance, namely that as we turn away, what are we turning away from? You're returning away from evil ways and evil deeds. You're turning away from a general lifestyle that's wicked and specific actions. And we need to remember that sometimes. Sometimes, We need to remember, hey, you haven't reached it yet. You might not notice any particular sin in your life, but you got to grow. Your way must be better. And sometimes, though, you might just say, hey, I'm on an upward trajectory, but there are blatant works. There are blatant deeds. There are specific activities of sin in your life and you need to take care of it. Whether it's on the general level, whether it's on the specific level, we need to root out sin and keep repenting. But here's the problem. As the prophets urged Israel's ancestors to do that, notice what God says. But they did not listen, and they did not heed. You say, what's the difference between listening and heeding? Listening is about response in this construction. Listening is about how you react. They didn't want to react well. They didn't want to accept it. They didn't want to comply. They didn't want to respond. In fact, they didn't even want to heed it. They didn't want to hear it at all. They didn't want to pay attention. Sometimes we say the phrase, it goes in one ear and out the other. Well, for Israel, they didn't even let it go in one ear. They just refused it. They plugged their ears. That's the idea. Brothers and sisters, sometimes it's hard to listen to hard things. It's hard to listen to the scriptures when it convicts you of your sin. It's hard to listen to a fellow believer confront you over something that's wrong. And you don't want it to go even into your ear and out the other. You don't even want to go into your ear at all. But Zechariah warns us, that's the way you never repent. And that's how you'll be like Israel's fathers. And it'll be over for you. Be humble. Accept it. Pay attention carefully. Listen and respond eagerly whenever you are called to repent. It's for your good. It's something not only you have to do, it's something you get to do. Don't forget that. Well, by way of final point in verses 5 and 6, what we have is not just the circumstances or the context or the command of repentance. We have the constancy of God's word. The constancy of God's word. You see, we've been emphasizing this is something you get to do. This is something you get to do. Repentance is something you get to do, but you can never forget this. It's still something you have to do. You can't forget that. You can't forget that. And so God issues a warning. He warns Israel, your sin will find you out. This is something you have to do. This is not just something optional, even though it's such a privilege, even though it's such a grace. It doesn't mean it's just optional and it can be ignored. It's just a nice suggestion. No, it's not that at all. God says this in verse five, your fathers, where are they? Tells you everything you need to know. Were they able to escape the warnings of God's word? And the answer is no. It's a fact. People sometimes wonder, is that a threat? No, this is not a threat. It's a fact. It's a historical reality. And what about the prophets? Did they live forever? And you say, but the prophets, they're the good guys. Yes. But remember this, even those who deliver God's word, they're not exempt from God's word. Key example is Moses. He sinned one time. God says, you're not in the promised land. You cannot avoid the word of God. You can't escape. You're not good enough. That's why we all must repent. Surely, verse six my words, those are divine words, my statutes, those are God's definitive ordinances. And it's not only from God carrying, therefore, divine authority as its definitive, but it's also even carrying a th- accountability because the text says, which I commanded my slaves, the prophets. God commanded them. God didn't just suggest it to them. They weren't just negotiating it. They weren't just mediating it. God commanded it to them. There is accountability here. And God says, did it not overtake your fathers? Did it not overtake them? What's the warning? Eventually... The word of God caught up with them. That's the idea of overtake. Sometimes, and this is a warning for all of us, we think, well, I'm okay right now. Got away with it. Nothing happened. You need to remember this. Your sin will find you out. What you sow, you will also reap. The word of God will overtake you. It's not a matter of if, but win. Never forget that. God said, yes, your fathers, they may have thought we got away for with it for a certain period of time. And for a certain period of time, they did. But eventually the word of God, what? It overtook them. It caught up. And where are they now? They are under judgment. And this was so irrefutable. Notice the last part of this phrase. The people, they returned. They understood what happened. They returned, it says. Sometimes the text says repented, but actually the Hebrew says return more on this in a second. They returned even back to the land. And they said, as Yahweh purposed to do to us according to our ways and our deeds, so he has done with us. The prophet said, turn from your evil ways, turn from your evil deeds. And God says, if you don't, I'm going to judge you for it all. And what exactly happened? He did it. He did it. And all the people can say now is, he did what he said he was going to do. That's all they can say. And here's the warning. Notice the language. Remember how I said, and LSB translates it right. Good job. They returned. Does it repent? They returned. Why? Because what has God been calling Israel to do this whole time? What? Return to me, and I will return to you. And God says this at the end of the passage. You have a choice. You have a choice. You can return to me, and I will return to you. Or you can return this way. You can come home and all you can say is that Yahweh judged us. And all that we have is his wrath. And that's all we're experiencing right now. Make a choice. Do you want to return to me the right way with spiritual and full and joyful repentance so that God returns to you? Or do you just want to come home under judgment and return that way? Make Your choice. And for Israel, they had to make that choice. And for everyone here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's your choice. And even for us as believers, every time we deal with our sin, we have a choice in a sense to make. Are you going to return to God so he returns to you? Or are you going to return the hard way and just learn the lesson the hard way? This is what we must understand. Repentance, we don't often like it. It's hard. And yes, you have to do it. There is a wrathful God. There is return one way or return the other way. God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. We understand that. But repentance is what you get to do. That's what we can never forget. God remembered a promise here. And it was a promise that led to their blessing. It was a promise that was based upon the fact that God had to have grace to even give them the opportunity to repent. It is a promise that... People will not just gain blessing, they will gain God as I return to you, God says, if you return to me. That's what he declares. This is what you get to do. And so we need to give thanks to God all the time that he allows us to come back to him in repentance. And for Israel, this is why it's the first command in Zechariah, because God says, I'm about to tell you every single thing that I'm about to do for you it's going to be lovely. It's going to be beautiful. You want it? Repent. And for us, we need to keep repenting of things general and things specific in our lives. And we need to not only turn away from them and turn to righteousness, we need to return to God all the time. And here's the beauty of it all. If you return to him, he will return to you. That's the grace of repentance. Shall we pray? Our God and Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the mercy of repentance that in spite of how dramatically Israel sinned in the past or we sin now, your character remains the same. That that you offer us repentance, that we can come to you and return to you and you will return to us and you will return to us ultimately in the end in your kingdom. May we cling to you And may we always joyfully, humbly come back to you and be near, not just to righteous behavior, but to you. For we love you, O God, in your name we pray. Amen.